You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, I'm here today with the guy who is all about Amazon. He's all about making money. He's all about living a great life. And he does live a great life, I think, from the look of it, from the sounds of it. I'm here with Shaheen Shan. And Shaheen, are you in mindfulness mode today? Every day I'm in mindfulness mode, except for the days that I'm in mindlessness mode, as Alan Watts would carefully observe that sometimes we need to lose our minds in order to find ourselves. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that, as I'm a big fan of Alan Watts. Mm. So you have been known to lose your mind at times, have you? I try <laughs> to lose my mind a little bit every day. Yeah. And it, it's, it's actually more important than you know. Okay, so I'll give you my dirty little secret, which I Please don't do. give on air a lot. Okay. I like to make prank calls. It's one of my yeah. favorite things. I do multiple characters. I can do a Persian guy that speaks like this. How are you? I'm Mr. Irani. I can do a Russian guy. So I do multiple characters. And I will take time. I'm, I took time from a $20 million deal yesterday off the phone. I hung up. I put people on hold. And some of them were on hold. Some people I hung up. And I made a quick prank call. And then I got back on the phone. And I've been and, doing this for years. Wow, really? And what does yes. this do for you? How does this feed you? It helps you lose your mind. Because then you can find it again. You can't find it if it's not lost. So okay. this is the interesting part about life. So because this is a show on mindfulness, which I wasn't prepared for, but I am always prepared for. Okay. Do you know why angels fly? Well, because they want to be elusive. No, because they take themselves lightly. Okay. (laughs) Similarly, in life, it is important that we don't take ourselves too fucking seriously. That's Uh the problem with most people. Seriousness is a disease. Most people have a pole up there, you know what, and they're walking around with all these levels of seriousness and all this projection of themselves. And that's why I do stuff like that. I try to do some silly thing, make a prank call, call a friend and make them laugh, do something silly and unexpected every day because it breaks me out of that thing. It breaks you out of the traps of the ego, of the belief that all this is is real, that all this is all there is. And the fact is, I love business. I love making money. I love the the journey and the path of creating excellence in the world and creating cool products. I've been doing it for a good part of 30 years now. I feel fucking old, but since I was 15, I've been creating products that people take and enjoy. And at the end of the day, I realized the commonality between myself and a lot of my friends that are also successful. And the fact is that at the end of the day, they don't fucking take themselves so seriously. You just love having fun. I love having fun. Who doesn't? 
Well, some people don't. There are people that, like you say, they their whole life is about being serious. And I've met a lot of them. And you can be very serious about mindfulness too, as I'm sure you know. You can just be so serious, so serious about meditating, and so serious about being mindful. So I think there are lots of people that don't really even know how to have fun, let alone know that they like having fun. Don't you think so? Yeah. Like I said, seriousness is a disease. It yeah, is not yeah. a quality to be admired. Whenever you look at people that are like super tight and their sphincter is wound up super tight and they're just very serious about things, there's something else in their life that's imbalanced. You look at the great people in history, I guarantee you they had a fucking rip-roaring laugh. You look at Albert Einstein, you look at John Rockefeller, you look at any of these people throughout history that reached these incredible heights of success and you'll find antidotes of them being funny. Mark Twain is a great example of it. Oscar Wilde is another example of it. Alan Watts. You look at any of these great people throughout history, they didn't fucking take themselves seriously. It's only the assholes that take themselves seriously. When was the first time you knew that you loved making money? Were you a little kid? Yeah. So I started out coming to this country as a refugee. My family and I came to the United States during the fall of the Shah. The Iran-Contra thing was going yeah. on. It was 19, late 1970s, early 1980s. And I found myself, surprisingly, in the school system here in Los Angeles and just getting my butt kicked every single day because I didn't speak English. Right. I was a little foreign Iranian kid. People called me towelhead and camel jockey and all these kinds of you know, wacky names, pretty uncreative. Yeah. And I realized that I needed to find a way to differentiate myself if I didn't want to be the recipient of every ass whooping that was being served at this school. So what I did was I pulled together all the misfits, all the derelicts. And by the way, I write about this in my book that just dropped Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. It's out now on Audible. Okay, uh, well, I'll just repeat that again, because as you as you turned away from the mic, I couldn't hear you as well. So. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, my book just dropped. It's called Billion, How I Became King of the Throw Pill Cult. And it's my whole story about how I did all this. Now, when, and we'll, we'll, we can go into this a little bit more, but what I did was I gathered all the derelicts, the misfits, all the kids that didn't belong, and there was something severely wrong with every single one of us. And we created a little gang, an adolescent gang, where we would go to the liquor stores. We had a little Greek kid with us who was a short kid, so he would sneak through the metal detectors, and we would pilfer the stores for adult magazines, gum, whatever it is that we could fit in there, bottles of liquor, cigarettes, and we would sell it inside the school. Now, oh. this led to us gaining some level of popularity. Because the cool kids knew that we had all the stuff. You want nudie magazines, cigarettes, glue, whatever it is, we got it. Mm -hmm. The problem was, Bruce, that I realized very quickly in a moment of self-revelation that I was really fucking bad at crime. Because we mm. would always get caught. Every single time. My little, you know, adolescent butt would sell something, we would get busted for it. Every time. So I find myself 
back in Los Angeles, 15 years old, thinking to myself, dude, I want to make some money. I want to get rich. I want to reach the heights of success. How do I do that? Well, I asked my parents and they're like, go be a doctor. You must be a doctor. Doctor is the best way, the pinnacle of success. Look at Mr. Iruni. He is a doctor. If you become a doctor, you will become successful. And I said, well, uh, okay. Uh, how long does that take? I'll do that. I said, oh, well, we don't know. We've never done it. And my family was fairly poor. We, we were lower middle class at best, probably poor. My dad worked at a dry cleaners and a pizza shops and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, uh, all right, let me find out. So as soon as I found out how long it takes to become a doctor, I was out. Right. And I packed my bags. Right. I left. I went into the rave electronic music scene, the dance scene. I managed to find myself a mentor in those days who's an amazing person. Again, I, I write about this in my book. And I looked around and saw that people were taking drugs, but the quality and supply of drugs had dried up, particularly of one called ecstasy. And I thought to myself, well, what if I could create a legal version of this? And I did it. I did it. I sold it through the drug dealers at the clubs. And by the time I was somewhere in my late teens, I remember walking into my office. I had a collection of exotic cars. I had fallen asleep in my car because I didn't sleep very much in those days. It was a Lamborghini drooling on the passenger seat. Not a good look walked into my office and the news broke that we had made over a billion dollars in revenue that year. And the year before I was sleeping on the beach, I was sleeping in abandoned buildings. I had no money. I was sleeping. You basically made a billion dollars in one year, less than a year. It's probably close to about six months. And I remember the more interesting part of that story is having a panic because I didn't know how much a billion dollars was. I literally did not know. Was it a hundred million, a thousand million? And they told me, and I was like, holy fuck, does this mean I have to get an accountant? (laughs) And you didn't want to get an accountant. Is that it? I didn't understand how that worked. I I learned very quickly. And it's a good lesson for anybody who's getting involved in any of the businesses that I was in, that accountants don't actually count duffel bags full of cash. Who knew? Who knew? What do they do? What do they I, actually That's do? exactly what I thought. They came <laughs> into my office and you would see these guys in their stuffy suits and everything. And when I'd be like, all right, you're the accountant. There's the duffel bags. They're stacked up there. They got cash in them. They didn't know what to do with that. So that, that was very interesting to me. You had to yeah. get your employees to count the cash or take it to the bank to count the cash. So very interesting uh, lessons were learned in those days. But again, I write about it in my book called Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, 15-year-old kid invents a magic pill that sweeps the world by storm. Pretty fun. So how did you invent this pill? This is like, it sounds like you'd need to be a scientist to do that, or you would need to have all kinds of connections to people that knew chemistry or something. How did you pull that off? Well, I remember thinking to myself in another moment of clarity that I was going to succeed no matter what it took. Mm-hmm. I built that mindset and I wouldn't let anybody tell me no. So practically I would go to the library, I'd pick up books. I'd call authors. I'd be like, Hey, do you know how to make this? Do you know how to do this? It was an herbal supplement in those days. So it was mm-hmm. 
fairly simple to put the ingredients together, but to know what to put together involved specialized knowledge. And I was all up for asking everybody that I could. And some people were like, fuck off. We don't want anything to do with you. And other people were like, you know what? We'll help you. We'll give you some material. We'll front you some ingredients. And I managed to get myself a girlfriend in those days. Her dad was, uh, I don't know, like superintendent of some school district or something. Mm -hmm. And I managed to convince her to let me in through the back door as dude left through the front door to go to work. And I would cook up prototypes in her kitchen. So it was a, it was a crazy thing. And I didn't have uh, the money to buy the machine to put the herbs in the capsule. So we would roll them up into things that look like pills. We'd put them in the oven to dry. And then we put them in little baggies. And I went to the clubs and I managed to get the drug dealers to sell them for me. And it went from one guy to 10 guys to a thousand guys to 10,000 guys. So you sold them as though they were illicit, even though they actually were not. Is that it? No, we sold them through the same channels of mm-hmm. illicit drugs, but we right. never sold them as illicit drugs. I remember I, I was standing in front of this big drug dealer. I thought the dude was going to kill me. I was trying to convince him to sell it. And he looks at me and he goes, what do you call it? And I was like, uh, 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 herbal ecstasy. And that was it. The name stuck. And oh, it worked and well. Name. Yeah. And what did it do for you when you took it, when you experienced it? Did you like the feeling? Yeah, it was great. It was fantastic. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan of herbal medicine and natural supplements. And, and this was one that was very effective. It was very efficacious. It had all kinds of great effects to it. No downside, no side effects. And again, I do not espouse the use of anything without the consultation of your doctor or medical practitioner. So please don't listen to this podcast and take anything without consulting your doctor. I am a uh, qualified chimpanzee. That is about it. You should not take medical advice from me. But with that said, I had a great time taking the supplement and it it really led to a lot of mental clarity. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people felt that it was just like real ecstasy. Oh, really? Yeah. And then did you just continue to sell that year after year after year? What what was the next thing? We sold it for several years. And then there was a big hubbub, I guess the government, the pharma companies didn't really like somebody selling a recreational pill that they had very little control over who knew and Uh they clamped down on it. And so I sold that. We, at that time had, like I said, 200 employees. We were, we did a billion dollars in revenue. It was nuts. From there, I went to solving the problem of, of smoking. I realized that people have been smoking for thousands of years, create smoke, tar, carbon monoxide. Uh, carcinogenic elements that are found in smoke. And nobody had really found a solution for it. So I went about creating all the technology that now is the foundation of all the vapes and e-cigs that you see. And that company went public in 2007. I sold it around 2006, roughly. And um, I went on to selling products on the Amazon space. And I realized that we were really good at it. Amazon was in its infancy. And so we learned how to master that whole ecosphere of Amazon. And now what I do is I teach people how to sell products on the Amazon platform and to create recurring predictable revenue. I teach anybody how to find a product. Doesn't matter if you're in Canada, doesn't matter if in the United States, doesn't matter if you're in Africa. I got students from all over the world. And I teach people how to use this beautiful platform that this man, Jeff Bezos, has built that is creating more wealth than any other e-commerce platform in the world, how to use that to create wealth for yourself and your family. And I do that through my FBA seller course. And in fact, 
my course is normally 200 bucks for anybody that's listening to Bruce Langford on this podcast. I'm going to offer it for free. No credit card, no obligation. If I can empower people to create recurring predictable revenue and reduce the stress on themselves and their families and utilize the Amazon platform, uh, I'd like to do that. You guys can email me directly. I'm going to give away my direct email is darkzess at gmail.com, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Mention Bruce and you will get the one-hour course, A to Z, how to get reviews, how to find a product, how to open an account, everything you need for free, no obligation. We're going to do that for everybody on this show. Wow. That's a great offer. So that is really interesting. That And so it's a one hour, it's a one hour training. Is that what you said? Yeah. And after one hour of training, I'm going to be able to know how to go on Amazon and make Amazon work in such a way that I can have recurring income. Is that correct? Sure. Yeah. Wow. That sounds beautiful. So what do you think holds people back from doing that? What do you think is the reason that there aren't more people doing that? I think in general, and this is an unpopular view, not everybody is meant to be entrepreneurial. Some people are better off working for other people. Yeah. The fact is, uh, when you ask people, you know, you ask wealthy people, successful people, why are you successful? They will invariably come back to say, I'm passionate about what I do. Ask Mark Zuckerberg, why, why, why did you succeed and all these other people fail? I'm passionate about social media. I'm passionate about this. It's fucking bullshit. It's really bullshit. As Scott Adams says in his book, how to fail at almost everything and still win big. It's something yeah, like I that. Yeah, I love that book. I love it's that a great, book. It's, it's a really great book. And I, yeah, I you know, he talks about, he talks about this. And the fact is, most people are going to fail. Yeah. Most people will never succeed. Most people suck, truly suck at what they do. They are a lot of people are afraid of success. Am I right? People are afraid of success. People are afraid of failure and sometimes with good reason. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you are tied to that fate. I know you're in the, in the business of coaching and success coaching and hypnosis. It doesn't mean that anybody's tied to that faith. But until they realize how bad they suck, they're never going to get better. The first step in getting better at anything, in wanting more, is realizing that you're really fucking bad at something. If you've mm. been trying to make money year after year after year, and you're now sitting 20 years later and you haven't made money, you failed. You gotta, you gotta have a come to Jesus talk with yourself and be like, dude, I fucking suck. And I realize that, but I'm not going to give up and I can get better. This is the second part of that is that you can improve. You can get better, but the world isn't going to tell you that you talk to wealthy people. They're going to tell you they're lucky. They're going to tell you, Hey man, I just got lucky. And I'm, I'm really passionate about this thing. They don't want to tell you that, you know what? I'm smarter than you. There are people smarter than you. And not only that, I'm more ruthless than you. I'm more aggressive than you. I know how to manipulate people more. I know how to exert influence in the right ways. These are things that people will not tell you. These are things that people will not share with you. You have to be more aggressive. You have to be relentless. You have to have enemies. You have to go out there and fail. 
you have to be able to take risks. And you can't do that if you're broke. So I like to think foundationally, and this is what I teach my students and I teach everybody who comes aboard my course, is that you have to have four legs on a table. A four-legged table is very sturdy. Three legs, and eh, not the best table, not the worst table. Two legs, oh man, that's not a good table. One leg, you're a fucking tripod, okay? Yeah. What are the four foundations, the four pillars? Let's get the first one out of the way. You need to have either money in the bank or a job. Why? Mm -hmm. Eventually, we want to get you out of selling your fucking hours. Don't sell your hours. We want to get you to walk into that job and to give the finger to your boss and tell him to fuck off because you now have F you money. Until that happens, you need to keep your family fed. You need to keep diapers on the kids. You need to keep food on the table. But more importantly, you need to have a nest egg that releases pressure from you and allows you to go out there and take risks. Number one. First foundation. Second foundation, cash flow positive real estate. I know you're in Canada. Canada is in a boom right now with real estate. Yeah. But you need to learn about real estate and get some involvement, some exposure to real estate that's producing cash flow. People will always need shelter, always need shelter, like food and water. People will always need shelter. And you, in the long term, will create wealth doing that. The third one, something that's compounding interest, investing smartly in stocks, bonds, crypto, anything that's compounding interest for you. I'm not a crypto guy or an expert by any means. I have friends who are, but you can invest in stocks. You can compound. Why Warren Buffett is one of the wealthiest men in the planet? Because he's been investing for the longest period of time. If Bezos or Musk or one of those guys were investing for the same amount of time that Buffett was with compounded interest, their wealth would be well in the trillions. And the fourth pillar, arguably one of the most important ones, is you need to create real estate. How do you create real estate in e-commerce? You do it by opening up an Amazon account, an eBay account, an Etsy account. Now, when you do that, and I recommend people open up an Amazon account. Again, guys, check out my course. It's fbasellercourse.com, FBA standing for fulfillment by Amazon, or go to shaheenshan.com and click on the link for course. If you're interested in the free course, it's a, it's a $200 course. I'll give it to you for free. If you mention Bruce, it's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Email me directly. I answer all, all emails and I'll answer that. Back to our point here. Once you can get to the point where you have these four foundations. You can't have a bad day. Why? Let me tell you. You can't have a bad day because, hey, your stocks are down. No problem. Your real estate is still cash flowing. That goes slow. People need a place to live. Oh, well, that might not be going so well. Your e-commerce business is doing great. Oh, well, that's not doing well today. You always have your job. You have that security, and you live to fight another day. That's why you need the four pillars of foundational thinking. And I'm happy to, to coach anybody or teach anybody through this. Just reach out to me. And we teach this in our mastery program. I'm fascinated about this program. I'm fascinated at how focused you are and how, how deliberate you are about what you want to achieve. But tell me this, what does mindfulness mean to you in your life? Mindfulness for me in my life is presence. It's the ability to, as the great author Ramdas, Richard Alpert would say, be here now. Be able to be 
a real person, an authentic person, which is the first and foremost component to it, just be fucking real. Be who you are. And that brings about the ability to be present, to be present for your family, to be present for your friends, and to take a moment to realize that it all came and it'll all go. Did you ever have a, a hard time being authentic, being that real person? No. It because always came naturally to you. For me, it came naturally because being authentic, I had no choice. That was it. I could only be authentic. I was in survival mode. Remember, I left home when I was 15. Yeah. I cut ties with my family, my friends. I was sleeping on the beach. I was sleeping in a band buildings. I was doing whatever, whatever I could to survive. And when you are in survival mode, you can only be authentic. Now, I train and practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm just a beginner. I've only been doing it for a few years. I still try to get good at it. But combat sports is a great example of this. You can't be inauthentic when you're in a fight, when you're on the mat, when you're sparring, and it's you and your opponent, and that's all there is. You can't bullshit. You can't be like, you know what? I'm better than I am. You're going to get slammed. The fact is, in that moment, you only have the truth, the authenticity, and your presence. It's your mindfulness. So tell me more about jujitsu. What, like you've told us a little bit, but what is it about that that makes it such an incredibly powerful thing in your life? Yeah, so I'm not an expert by any means. I, I've, I'm just a practitioner and a student that I've been doing it for several years. But Brazilian jujitsu is a art. Uh, a martial art that primarily involves grappling. And the reason why it's a super martial art, one of, one of a lot of people call it a superpower, is because you have the ability to contain a situation without inflicting unnecessary damage on your opponent. It was developed in order for smaller, weaker people, the founder of the, of the art, one of the founders of the art was an older, frailer man, and he wanted to use a martial art, develop a martial art where he could fight bigger opponents and be able to thrive and do very well. And that's, that's why he created it. And for me, why it's important is because it gives me that presence, that mindfulness that allows me to maneuver in the world, that ability to learn in those instances that are very authentic and real, where it's just combat. Bruce Lee would always say, truth is found in combat. And there's a reason for that. Very because there's something pure to that. Even when you watch UFC or you watch fights on TV, there's something pure. There's a purity that we crave when we watch a great athlete fighting on TV. Because you know it's just between him and the opponent. And although there's a thousand people all around them or thousands of people all around them, people watching them on TV in that moment. It's just between those two fighters. And there's a beauty to that. Shaheen, I want to ask you more about your book and what the process was like. Did you, did you write this whole thing yourself or did you record it as an audio and then put it into words or what was the process and what was your goal when you wrote this book? And, and by the way, the book is called Mindful Tribe Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult. And there you are holding it up. Yeah. So the process was, was pretty interesting. You know, it's something I've been thinking about for a while, about writing a book. And we just got a film deal. So I'm very excited about that. It's going to be made into a major motion picture, which is very exciting. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the, the process for the book was basically, yeah, it started out with me just recording different stories that I knew through the time and through the years of herbal ecstasy until finally I was like, you know what? Now I've got enough material to make it into a book. And I sat down, COVID happened, and I was like, well, no better time than to write and tell my story than through COVID. People have been encouraging me to do it for years. And it's a really cathartic experience writing your own book. It's an even more cathartic experience reading the audiobook, which I do myself for anybody who's interested. Billion, How I Became King of the Thropoe Cult is on Audible now, so you can check out the audiobook. Please let me know what you think of it if you're listening to this podcast. I'm very interested in your comments. And if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. And if you're watching us on whatever channels or hearing us on whatever channels that the show is broadcast on, make sure to like and subscribe to the show. Yeah. And so uh, when did this book publish? It just came out. Because yeah, I, I looked on Amazon. I didn't see it. So. Oh, it's on Amazon now. Yeah. Okay. It is. Eh? Okay. So it's called Billion. Yeah. So what was the most interesting story you told in that book that pops into your mind right now? Because you're, you're quite a storyteller. You really are. Well, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of interesting stories in the book. You know, there was a time where I was flown out to Japan to meet with one of the heads of the mafia of the Yakuza, the Japanese mafia. And it turns out that they were interested in buying or I should say, taking over the entire company. And I had to use influence to negotiate myself out of a very tricky situation. And I tell that story in there. There's plenty of of interesting, exciting stories in there, but I try to tie them into practical lessons that people can use because people are always like, okay, well, you did that. You sold herbal ecstasy, but how's that going to help me? And there's some real practical tools, practical lessons. We say hindsight is 2020, but I always tell people, look, find somebody who's done what you want to do and get them to coach you, get them to mentor you, get them to teach you how they did it. And truthfully, my story is an interesting one, but what's more interesting is my ability to take other people and to get them to success, which is what I'm focused on now. Interesting. Yeah. So I want to ask you a question about bullying. Were you ever bullied? I know that you said when you first came to America, it was pretty brutal, but do you have like a single story of bullying either in your adult life or as a kid where mindfulness would have made a difference? I don't know if mindfulness would have made a difference because sometimes if you're about to receive an ass whooping, you're going to receive an ass whooping either way, but I will tell you a cool story from, from the book. Uh-huh. So I called my buddy up. I'm, I don't know, 10 years old, 12 years old, something like that. 12 years old, maybe. I forget. Mm-hmm. It's a long time ago. And I say, all right, I'm tired of getting my ass whooped. You know, it's time we start getting some girls. There's all kinds of cute girls. I must have been 12 or 13. And I'm yeah. like, all right, we're going we're gonna to start getting all the cute girls to hang out with us. I know exactly how to do it. He goes, what is it? And I said, he's like, is this another one of your cockamamie ideas? I said, no, no, I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. And I said, faith. He said, what? I said, you know, faith, the faith, the faith. So what the fuck are you talking about? I said, you know, George Michael. He said, what? I said, look, that guy, he gets all the girls. He's a badass. Everybody loves him. His songs are a hit. That's it. 
I'm getting some jeans, tight jeans. I'm going to get a leather jacket, and I'm going to get an earring with a cross. If you guys remember George Michael, the great singer mm -hmm. who's now passed away, would wear a cross. I'm like, that's it. So I went, my dad had a dry cleaners. And by the way, the only way we got clothes was when somebody left it behind and didn't pay their bill at my dad's. That's how we got new clothes. I didn't eat at a restaurant until I was 15. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that there was an option to do that. So I went to my dad's dry cleaners. I managed to purloin a few pieces of clothing, a jacket that was way too big, some tight jeans that maybe weren't exactly my size. I managed to make a little earring out of, I don't know, paper clips or something. I just clip it on my ear and I showed up at school and I thought this was a, this was going to be my in to being the cool kid. I'm, this is it. Everyone's going to love it. Yeah. And I walked in and my friends like, you're fucking crazy. We don't, I don't want anything to do with this. And I'm sitting in class looking like I'm cool. Everybody is quiet. Everybody's quiet. What I don't know is that they're holding back their laughter. Mm. And I'm thinking, that's it. I'm going to be the cool kid now. I, I still didn't speak perfect English, but I was, I was understanding and speaking some English. I was like, yeah, so this is it. Blue jeans, black jacket. I got the little earring. That's it. Everyone's going to think I'm cool. And the second the teacher walked out, people started throwing stuff at me, laughing. And I walked out to one of the greatest ass kickings I've ever gotten by some of the like jock type kids at school. And I remember thinking back to that remembering that even though I was being beat down by a bunch of people, even though I was being bullied, although that was kind of the course par for the course back in those days, that I did not take the punches lightly. I got up and I fought back. It didn't matter. I was bleeding. I had bloody nose, all that stuff. I would not let them go until they gave up. And I realized that it was those experiences in life that built my grit, that built my resilience, that built my thick skin. So years later, I'm 15 years old and standing in front of a big drug dealer that's, you know, likely killed people and is, you know, big narcotics dealer trying to get him to sell my herbal pills, not hearing any of the stuff that he's saying and having my feet glued to the floor, my eyes directed at him and convinced that I'm going to get him to sell my stuff and being able to enforce my will and influence him to do that. It comes from those experiences. Now, I wouldn't seek out those experiences as they're pretty shitty and it sucks to get your ass kicked. But at the end of the day, I think sometimes these experiences lead us to a feeling of helplessness in the moment, only later to realize that it's a formative experience in our lives. Is this product Global Ecstasy still available today? Herbal Ecstasy. Um, I own the brand now, still. Um, I recaptured it. Um, and it's a performance brand now. So it's like a main male performance brand. Some females use it too. But we're working on it. And eventually I will do a relaunch of it in time. It's certainly not what it was back in the day. The, most of the ingredients were restricted. Oh, they were. Oh, yeah. I see. Back in the day. And what's your opinion about all of the uh, uh, 
places where marijuana is now becoming legal. I mean, it's legal in Canada. We have shops just popping up here, there, and everywhere. Every every other block has a has a shop where you can buy marijuana. What's yeah. your thought on that? Like, does that really, is that something that you really want to do to your brain? Does it sharpen you? Does it help you to be a more successful person in life? Well, that's, you know what? Look, let me tell you this. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I think it's a good question. I think part of the problem with Western culture, Western civilization, is that we've got a real fucking problem doing anything in moderation. Mm. That's the problem. We can't just be like, oh, okay, so it's legal now. Let's let's do, you know, let's let's just let's just be cool. It's not yeah. like that. It's like it's legal. They're smoking it on the bus, on the train, in the libraries. Yeah. People yeah. putting it in their nose. They're making crystals out of it, and you know, shooting it up every orifice. It's that's that's the main problem. As far as plant and plant medicines go, look, this is something that's been used for thousands of years, and one of the mm. most interesting curative medicines out there. The, the problem with Western medicine is not that it's not effective. It's that it's one size fits all. And at the mercy of financial institutions, governments, but ultimately politics mm-hmm. governs our health, less so in Canada than in the United States. But they have to come up with a one size fits all that works for everybody. The great thing about herbal medicine and cannabis is really an, an herbal medicine that is effective for some people that's ineffective for other people. For some people it's addictive. I know people don't like to say that, but I know people that are addicted to it. They can't like live life without it. The definition yeah. of addiction is if you quit something and have side effects or, or have withdrawal, then you're addicted to it. Mm-hmm. So look, I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, I think it's, it's, much more benign than alcohol, which is legal everywhere. Right. And certainly more benign than tobacco, which is far more addictive and less curative in, in most cases. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, these things are really nuanced conversations. So the, the question is like, all right, is this stuff good for us societally? Well, for some people, yes. For some people, no. For somebody who's got chronic pain and doesn't want to go on opioids and they're just going to smoke weed once a day and be good and not get addicted to opioids and ruin their life, then yeah, this stuff Mm. could be a miracle. There's tons of people that use this, that their lives relies upon this particular plant. And, And that's awesome that that's available. They can grow it. Nobody gets a piece of it. Like I get that. That's freaking awesome. For entrepreneurs, I recommend against it because I don't think it makes you a better entrepreneur. I don't think it makes you a better business person, especially somebody who's just starting out. I think that if you're just starting out, you've got to focus on what things could make you sharper, what things could make you brighter, not what things could distract you and numb you out. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Shaheen, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence for you? So the first person is going to be, I would say my first mentor, a man named Edward Lawson. Again, I write about him in my book. He was my Mm -hmm. first mentor, very impactful. 
the second person, I'm just, I get to name five, right? You can, I just ask you for one, but you can oh, name well, there five you go. if you want. That's, the That's one. it, Edward Lawson. Okay, great. Yeah. My second question is this, how has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? I think that emotions are triggered by instability. And sometimes the ability to watch your emotions, from my understanding, I'm not an expert at mindfulness, but what I understand it to be is the ability to watch your emotions and your feelings without judgment can lead to a, a greater sense of calm, a greater sense of understanding. So for me, I really feel it's that being mindful of what's going on around me and to be able to watch my emotions, watch my feelings without judgment for a period of time. The ability to suspend judgment is again, an, another superpower. Uh, so I think it's, it's maybe that by a different name. Shaheen, tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. I love breathing. So I do a number of different types of breathing exercises. I'm a big fan of Wim Hof and oh, the me Wim too. Hof method. Yeah. So yeah. I do that. I do cold exposure. Um, I just actually got out of an ice bath before this, before this call. So I think that's, that's super exciting. Whoops. You just cut out. All right. Yeah. So sorry about that. We had a little brief interruption there, but, um, I also like doing box breathing. I think that's fantastic. I use a virtual reality app now for most of the times I meditate. It's called Trip. It's on the Oculus system. Fantastic. If you guys reach out to me, I'll share a link or a coupon code for it with you if you want. It's a fantastic way to get into a flow state, but that one gets me in a flow state in eight minutes and it uses a lot of different types of breathing, but one of the most effective is box breathing, which I really like. I'm also a fan of the Oxygen Advantage, a great book written by a Irish scientist named Patrick McEwen, who's a peak performance specialist. And he talks about breathing and breathing techniques, primarily just breathing through your nose uh, and something called the Buteco method, which he's an expert at. So it's it, breath is life. Yeah, it really is. That's for sure. And so my next question was about recommending a book and you just did that oxygen advantage. So yeah, we'll put that in our show notes as well. And my last question was about sharing an app. Is there any other kind of app or any app at all that you would suggest that people can get to help them just be more grounded or more focused or more mindful? Yeah. So there's two things that I would really recommend. And again, here's another book recommendation. There's a great book called Altered Traits. Have you read this book? I have not. Oh, it's fantastic. It's a psychologist or psychiatrist who writes a book on the effects of meditation on the human mind. And it's, it's really spectacular on the brain and the mind, but it goes through all the clinical studies of meditation. It's called Altered Traits. I love it. I, I learned about it first because Wendy Rhodes from the hit TV show Billions was reading it. And I always look at the books that are on her desk in oh, the yeah. TV show and I always order them and I got this book and I was blown away by it. But I would recommend get an Oculus headset and do a trip. There's an alternative to that if you don't like VR and you don't like uh, virtual reality. Uh, there's a great headband called Muse. It's another one of these gadgets that I use, and they figured out how to gamify meditation. But I find that 
if you're able to shorten the amount of time that you're meditating and to receive the same benefits, the shorter the time, the better. So that, that would be my recommendation. I've got Muse, M-U-S-E, and Trip, uh, two, two fantastic apps, uh, both that work with hardware, of course, but uh, both which are very effective. Awesome. And yeah, I'll put that in our show notes, mindfulnessmode.com. Check it out. Check out the show notes. Well, it's been great having you on the show. It really is shining. Thank you so much. What final words of advice would you have for anybody listening to this show today who just wants to get their act together, wants to feel better about life, wants to like be more successful and be happier? Start by not feeling better. Start by being real, be authentic realize, ask people around you, ask five people around you what your greatest weaknesses and successes are and, and strengths, and then ask those same five people what, and these should be people that are closest to you, what your superpower is. And then just shut the fuck up and listen. Shut up and listen. Most people cannot shut up. Shut up and listen to what they say. Very impactful. And on top of that, if you've got a job, if you're selling your hours, Look for a way out of that in time. It doesn't happen overnight, but reach out to us. Let us help you. Let somebody help you. And think about creating recurring revenue streams where you don't have to sell your hours. And if I can help you with that, again, it's fbasellercourse.com, shaheenshan.com. Email me at darkzess at gmail.com, D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. Join our community. We are Hack and Grow Rich, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. Make sure to like and subscribe. Let us know what you think. Yeah, check out Hack and Grow Rich and check out that website, fbasellercourse.com and send an email and get that course for free. So that's pretty generous of you. Thank you so much, Shaheen. I really appreciate it. Appreciate having you on the show and just keep doing the, the great stuff that you're doing for the world, helping people succeed, helping people feel better about life. So thanks so much for being here. Honored to be a part of it, Bruce. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Bye now, Shaheen.